Hello. Hey, good evening. All right, good evening. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back with another episode of The Hill Review. This is your host, Kirk Hill Jr. Um, we're getting ready to finish this season up. And uh, I promised you guys I would finally get the man on this call, on this episode. Uh, so a couple episodes back, I did a, I talked about faith. Um, and I talked about how COVID has um, changed my, my church-going experience uh, in a major way and how I've been dealing with um, my own faith and practicing faith in my own way uh, without the element of going to church. So, um, and I, you know, and I had expressed my, my history with um, the Abyssinian Baptist Church and one of the most important figures in my time growing up in the church is the esteemed Reverend uh, Darren Ferguson. So I have the man on the line with me today uh, and we can finally just um, talk for a little while and hopefully you all enjoy this, uh, this conversation. So Reverend Ferguson, um, it's great to have you here. Oh, it's my pleasure, Kirk. Always a pleasure yeah. to talk to you. Uh, I had um, said in the episode, I don't know if you ever got a chance to hear it, but I had always um, talked about your your presence when you worked with the youth um, and how my years uh, with you as the head of the youth um, department, I guess, I, I forgot what it was actually called, but that was my, uh, that was some of my best times in the church aside from singing in the choir when I got older. Uh, but, you know, you were always in a, a presence in my life and you always were um, a guiding uh, hand and a, and a mentor to me. And I still um, look to your your advice and your wisdom, you know, to this day. So I just want you to know how, how much you've meant to me over the years and that I've never taken you for granted, even through Blue Nile and, and everything. I'll, I'll never forget the first time uh, you gave that speech um, and you know, you you tell it a little bit different each time that you give that speech. Um, and I've had the pleasure of hearing it a few times. But that first time that you gave that speech, it it, it really hit home to me, and it, it it allowed me to to know you um, and on a deeper level and um, gain an even higher respect for you than I already had. So um, I'm not gonna ask you to give the whole speech right <laughs> here uh, for the audience, but if you could give like in a bridged version. Just a condensed version, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And how sure. you be uh, the man you are today? Yeah, I, I grew up in 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 Harlem. Well, it's called Washington Heights, where I grew up now. It's 166 to Amsterdam, and you know, just a, a little kid growing up, um, uh, theologically confused household. My mother was Luther. My mother was Methodist. My grandmother was uh, Catholic. Uh, but they sent me to the Baptist church on the corner, which I found out years later is because my father was Baptist. <clears throat> and uh, Growing up, we had a little a mother of the church named Auntie, and she was also my babysitter. She was the neighborhood daycare. You know, there was no daycare back then. And I was, so I was in church every Sunday and I was a little church kid and loved it. Uh, ran, you know, ran from the church when I got older to be a teenager, you know, being me. And Auntie got sick and died and, and her death changed me in the sense that um, I always believed that people who were as faithful and dedicated to God as she was, were supposed to have good deaths and she didn't. She had a bad death. She died from pneumonia and asthma. <clears throat> so I turned my back on God um, at 16. 
and that led to uh, drugs, uh, dabbling in criminality, and eventually incarceration. Um, uh, so got incarcerated in uh, in 1990 and uh, spent uh, almost nine years in New York State prisons, 16 months on Rikers Island, and then the last seven years at Sing Sing. Um, got my college degrees. I dropped out of high school, but got my high school um, equivalency while I was out before I went to prison. And while in prison, I got an associate's degree in paralegal studies and got a, uh, a certificate of ministry from New York Theological Seminary. Came home in 98. My daughter was uh, three months old when I went to prison in 90. And when I came out two months before her ninth birthday in 98. And um, and just from there, that's where the journey kind of started after getting out of prison. Uh, gave my life to the Lord in prison. Uh, furthered my seminary studies outside of prison. Came to Abyssinian as part of a, a group of 10 men who were sent to five to 10 different churches to do gang outreach, which is how I ended up at Abyssinian as an intern and then as the youth minister. And, uh, and for the last 22 years, it's just been a, a, a wonderful journey of, of ministry and life. You know, my wife, first wife passed away. Um, I got remarried. <clears throat> my daughter's now 31. She's great college graduate doing her thing. Uh, I've uh, pastored in Far Rockaway for 10 years, and now for the last two and a half years, I've been in Orange, New Jersey. Um, uh, you know, was, was ordained by Dr. Butts at Abyssinian, and then ordained a bishop in the Lord's Church in 2015, which angered some of my Baptist friends, but we could get into that later. Um, but um, just been a been a wonderful journey, man. And and to, and I think the most blessed part of my journey is seeing a lot of the, you know, I remember teasing you as a little boy, calling you Captain Kirk. (laughs) And and you just being one of my favorite kids, you always had a smile on your face. You always had this this look of wonder on your face. Like every experience was new to you and you were just soaking everything up. And so to see the man that you've become now, you know, some 15 or so years later is just uh, a blessing to me um, because um, just to have had some small part in that and to and to and to be able to see the fruits of all the labor of all the folks in the village, Blue Nile, Abyssinian, they poured into you and just seeing how proud your mom is. You know, your mom is always one of my favorite people, too. Yeah. How proud she is of you just does my heart. And and the fact that you sing, because, you know, I, I sing, too. So <laughs> and I never knew that you could sing. So I was kind of mad. I was like, I got to add him voices of Messiah back in the days. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, but it's it's been a blessed journey, man. So this, you know, this is um this isn't a a, a a culmination of the journey tonight, but this is really like a, a stop on the journey to be able to do this with you. Thank you, thank you, and I appreciate it. And, yeah, and it's it, it's um amazing just looking back on it, and you know, again, like how how far I've come and how much I've grown, even just in the last two to three years. I think. <laughs> Um, you know, from graduating college up until now, I've gone on my own little bit of journey where, you know, I I haven't been through, you know, I mean, luckily by the grace of God, I haven't been through as many um, dark experiences, but I've had my own instance of being, of being humbled um, and being brought down to what seemed like my lowest level at the time and just understanding that I had to let go and just, um, reassess like my faith in God and just trust and figure out where I wanted to be and you know you know they say in NBA you gotta you know trust the process and it was right. like it was just kind of like I had to let 
God do his thing and it's and it's brought me to where I am now. So and I and I know he's not done with me yet. You know what I mean? So um yeah, I'm just um I'm very honored and I just I just know that you you played a part in that. Um and like I said, I, I respect you and I thank you. And just to be able to talk to you now, uh, on a sense of as 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 two grown adults having a conversation is, is something that um you know that I've worked up to uh and it's it's um it's it's kind of an honor you know for me to be able to do this now so um so just to let you know where i how i was feeling because um one of the greatest things that i've always um admired about you is that you're a god-fearing man but you're also a man you know and right you, you talk to me like a person even when i was a, a a kid you never spoke to you never talked down to me you made me feel like you were just a real person and this this is what i um i said in my in my podcast you know Re- reverend bus was always like this ethereal figure i i, I never <laughs> I, I never felt like i could sit down and have a conversation with dr butts and maybe i could if i ever got to reach out but it just felt like this was a person that like you know, paparazzi was always around him. He was always, you know, everybody wanted to speak to him. So who was this kid? How was I ever going to have a conversation with Dr. Bus? But with you, I never felt like I couldn't talk to you. And you always made sure that you were the, you know, that I, you always made sure that you were there for me and you were always approachable. So, you know, just that little difference, um, you know, goes a, goes a long way. And um, just, I don't know, I, I feel like I can be able to express things with you without judgment. Uh, and you can be real with me and tell me things that another man of the church might not say because they feel like <clears throat> I have to keep up the the image, you know? And, right. And, right. You, and you never you never hide who you are, who you, what you've done, who you've been. You know, because it takes away from the journey. You know, to, right. to take out to take out to take out those parts of yourself is to take away pieces of Darren, and that's not you know that's not cool. So I, I, I always, I've always appreciated that you were that real to me. When you first told the story in Blue Now, like I said, I, I you know I was fourteen at that time, and I just remember knowing you when I was like eight or nine, but right. I never knew that I never knew that part of you. So when I like saw that I was like when you when I, when I heard the story I was like oh my god like why is he saying this to us like why is he telling us this you know like but it was you know it served it served its purpose you know and obviously it was a it was a I needed to hear because it, it never it never left me you know so um so I feel to give you the same honesty and, and courtesy I um this year um you know, Abyssinian has been kind of on the virtual side of things. And in the mm-hmm. beginning, in March and April, I was tuning in to the virtual services, but then I kind of just, you know, life gets hectic and things are going on. They were, and I just had a lot going on in my home and in my family that Sunday mornings, I didn't feel like tuning in. And I and I still don't. And I, but I don't feel that it's, I don't feel that it's weakened my relationship with God. I think it's allowed me 
and this might be me, you know, just just my point of view. Maybe I'm trying to justify it for myself, but I I truly feel that it's allowed me to have my own relationship with God, where I don't feel like I have to do certain things the way I need to on Sunday because this is how it's supposed to go. Right. You know? <clears throat> and right. and and I and, and I realize, you know, my my greatest times at at Abyssinia were when it was my choice to be there. And right. I always and I always respected when I got old enough when mom was like, I'm not gonna make you go to church with me every Sunday. If you don't wanna go, don't go. But if you want to be there, I want you to make sure that you have your your sense of spirituality and um and you know enjoy church for yourself. Let it become your own thing. And for me, that at first in high school it was with joining the choir and then mm-hmm. being a part of junior church. And then, you know, I once I w- went away to college, I wasn't really going to church in North Carolina. But whenever I came back home for the holidays, I was always in church with mom and grandma. And then once my grandmother came to church, um, I liked being there for her and going to church with her because, you know, my sisters weren't going and then my mother had moved. So it was, and then my grandfather had passed away. So it was just kind of, this is our thing. This is what me and grandma do every Sunday. And it allowed me, allowed me to develop my relationship with my grandmother even further, you know, and and seeing her as her own individual person away from grandpa and grandpa together. It was now like this is this is Susie, this is my grandma, and this is like right, who right. I is. And and to experience that was great for me. And then time went on and I finally decided I wanted to join the church and I wanted to get baptized again. And you know, those were great moments for me. But um you know, then I got into a relationship, and you know, Lenora, and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you know, and Michael, and I. Now I'm making sure, and I still make sure that Michael goes to his Sunday school because I know that it's. An, I feel it's important for him, and it's a it's a it's a structure that he needs. Being a three year old in a pandemic, I, mm-hmm. I want him. I want him to have something consistent, and Sunday school is that consistency that I feel he needs. But. Um, you know, I just after a while, I I I realized I stopped enjoying um, church as much as I used to because it wasn't more my thing. I I, I connected it with well, I got to make sure I'm there with Lenora, and I got to make sure that I'm meeting up with Grandma, and and we're and making sure oh what <clears throat> what what floor of the church are we sitting in? Are we sitting upstairs? Are we sitting downstairs? Right, you know, right, and. and Picking, picking him up from Sunday school and it, it just became more it felt more like an obligation rather than choice Right. and I could have and had COVID not happened I probably would have made my peace with that and found a way to balance it out so that I felt so that it felt more comfortable for me but that never got a chance to happen so then you know it, it becomes a thing where when something that you're used to is out of your life for such a long time. You know, when Abyssinia opens its doors back up, you know, how many people are gonna be back in church? Is it gonna be the same? Are the same people gonna be going? And how am I gonna feel, you know, having to dress up every Sunday and, and do that? You know, I don't I don't really know. Um, and that was something that I was that I had talked about. Um, you know, you're right on the cutting edge 
of everything. Do you remember uh, Reverend Richards, Nicholas Richards? Yes. Um, I was, um, a few years ago, um, I was doing a seven last word service at uh, First Baptist in Brooklyn when uh, Reverend Bloodsaw was out there. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, and I saw Reverend Richards and we were talking. I said, so what's going on, man, in Abyssinian, brother? I said, you know, he was, I guess he was more or less like the assistant pastor at that time. Um, right. And I said, you know, so I said, would you looking for your own church? And he's like, nope. And I said, you don't want to pastor a church? He was like, nope. And I, to me, that was like, what? You in Abyssinian, you in the, like the best place in the country to find a great church to go to. You know, especially as being like, you know, Dr. Butt's right hand man. I think right. I think he's like a Morehouse man. He's a frat guy. You know, he's got all the credentials, all the accoutrements of being, you know, following that path of a Reverend Warnock or a Reverend <clears throat> Miller, or, you know. And and he said, no, I have no desire to pastor church. And I said, why not? And he pulled out his smartphone. He pulled out his cell phone. And he said, he said, the future of the church is here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he started this uh, website called Rojo. Uh, oh, yeah, he told me about that. And uh, yeah. Rojo, you know, and and um, now, and and so what they do is you have pastors all over the country who, who um, upload their content to his website. So you can listen to anybody. You can listen to Jamal Bryant, or you can listen to Calvin Butts, or you can listen to... T.D. Jake. So you can listen to whoever he has on there on his catalog. You have your choice of whatever church you want to go to right there on your phone. Wow. And you could go Sunday morning or you could go Saturday night or you could go Friday afternoon. You can, you can pick and choose your times. And you can also pick and choose how much time you want to spend in that worship service. So if you want to fast forward and just hear a sermon, that's all. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. and, and, and what's happened now with COVID, I think, is that people are seeing now that they have choices because a couple of things happened. My church, I have been live on Facebook for, I guess, maybe the last four years, maybe more, four or five, maybe six or seven years since Facebook Live first started. Right. When Facebook Live first started, we started, I started broadcasting from my church in Far Rockaway on my phone. And even when I left Far Rockaway and came here to Jersey, I would have my phone up in the balcony and do live broadcasts from my phone on my page every Sunday. And we were talking about uh, just before the pandemic hit, putting cameras in the sanctuary and really doing a real live broadcast with, you know, you can put the scripture up and have it on our website. And so we were in the midst. We were right there at the precipice of doing it. We had the equipment bought already before the lockdown. And during the lockdown, we just did everything, put up our website and everything. So it was easy for us because we already had an online presence. Abyssinian did too because Abyssinian been broadcasting live from their website every Sunday uh, for a while, um, and that way you know because Abyssinian has a you know much larger membership than we do, so they were you know members who move or maybe out of town they could always go there. So yeah. the churches who already had an online presence were already people knew where to find them on Sunday morning. You know the difference for me was for the first uh, two months. I, we did the services for my house. I brought my keyboard downstairs and I played the keyboard. My wife and my daughter and I sang worship and praise, you know. And then uh, around Mother's Day, I said, let me go. I wanted to go back to the church. So we went back to the church, brought the musicians back. And then it's just my wife, my daughter, myself and the musicians. And we've only had one live. Uh, we Well, we had a couple of live services, but we had uh, we had like a three days under a tent. And then we and, and uh, I think that was in September. 
And then we had one live service in the sanctuary for the church anniversary in October. And we're not going back into the sanctuary until, until, you know, it's clear, until we're safe to some reasonable degree. And what COVID has done was, I think what you, what you talked about just now was, is really important, you know, because you were, I didn't, I never heard you say one time that you really enjoyed the messages. And I'm not saying that you didn't, mm-hmm. but that wasn't in the hierarchy of things that you mentioned, right? right? You said, my grandmother, you know, making sure that Michael had structure, you know, being there, being in the choir, all of those things were important to me. So, so a lot, most times, most people get caught up in the traditions of church and the traditions aren't bad things, but it's not the main thing. Right. And what's happening now is that churches are having to peel away all of the accoutrements. So you may have a church that has a banging choir, right? It has an excellent musical team, um, but COVID has taken that away. You know, you, you you know you may be able to get the musicians and stuff in the church, but it ain't the same. It's not right. you know as as you, as a singer, you know the live singing experience is it. You know, yeah. just being able to interact with the crowd and, and have people hear you, and you know, although th- that's where the the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and we've lost that. So now churches are having to readjust. As a matter of fact, what we're doing in my church, we we've been starting working on the bylaws. Our church is a hundred and three years old and we needed to revamp the bylaws. And one of the things that we're talking about having a serious debate about is what does it mean to be a member? You know, mm. you know, in a traditional church, you come to church, you pay your tithes, you're there, people see you, they know you, that's how you're a member. But now yeah. in the age of, you know, I can log on and I can do everything that I would have done coming to church virtually. I can go to Sunday school. I can go to Bible study. I can participate in prayer. Only thing I can't do is sing in the choir. And not everybody sings in the choir. So, you know, COVID is really going to make us rethink church. And I think it's also going to make us rethink content. Because when people are watching online and you got your TV right there and your phone is right there and somebody's texting you, and you got all this other stuff going on, if the pastor is not preaching anything relevant, if it's not something that's holding your attention, and it's not something that's meaningful to your life, you're gonna tune him out. Mm-hmm. And so now pastors are, going, are having to be more intentional. And you know, listen, let, let's keep it a hundred. You know, I come from a tradition, you know, Dr. Butts and them, you could not come up in Abyssinian if you couldn't preach. And I don't mean preaching in terms of hooping and hollering and given the show, you needed to have some content, you needed to have some relevance, you needed to be, you know, biblically sound, you needed to know what you were talking about, because you're coming out of a line of preachers from Adam Clayton Powell to, <laughs> you know, you. I mean, anybody who's anybody who's preached in that pulpit. So there's a weight to the pulpit, so you can't get up there half-stepping, and you had a sophisticated congregation there that was like, you know, okay, baby, I remember God rest his soul, when uh, Reverend uh, uh, Woodard would preach. And Woodard was a wonderful guy. He just wasn't a good preacher. And mm-hmm. people say, oh, Woodard's preaching. They turn around and leave. Because that's how it was. And now, everybody is basically saying, if you ain't got something to say, I ain't trying to hear you. Because I can get any church in the country, anywhere, right now. So why should I listen to you? Mm-hmm. And I think the 
the idea of, um, you know, the traditional pastor is going to change too, because people are, are saying, okay, this has been my family's church. My family, like, like my, I didn't realize until I got to Abyssinia that I had roots there. I thought I ended up there by happen chance, but I didn't. My father was baptized by Adam Clayton Powell in 1949. My dad used to live right across the street from the church. I didn't even know that till I got to the church. He never even told me that. And what happened was I got to the church and some people knew my father and God bless her soul, Linda McDougall pulled up my father's baptism certificate out of the archives with Adam Clayton Powell's signature on it. It shocked me. I was like, dad, why didn't you tell me? But but that is not enough, even in, in this climate that we live in now, my father being baptized by Adam Clayton Powell in that same church in 1949 is not enough to keep me there if I'm a member there. So the traditional reasons for going to church, it's people don't live in the communities where their churches are anymore. Abyssinian has had a big, and so does my church, Bethel has a big commuter. Um, you know, my church in Far Rockaway had a, a lot of our members were commuters. They were coming from Long Island. I had one guy, I, I still got one guy, he followed me. He, he came all the way from Connecticut to Far Rockaway and now he comes all the way from Connecticut to Orange, New Jersey. So people are, you know, people are either willing to to drive, to go where they want to be, or they're willing to find a way that they can access where they want to be virtually. So the idea of the local church has changed because now every church can be international. Right. And what COVID has done with people being home, people are looking at their Bibles more. So now I'm getting more questions about what I'm teaching and what I'm preaching. Because people are like, well, I read that scripture, Pastor, and I'm trying to figure out what you meant by this when the scripture says that. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, and we're coming to a place also, I think, where the archaic understanding of church is changing. You know, one of the differences between your generation and my generation is this. Um, we've all, you know, one of the two big issues that the church has been facing for years are abortion and the LGBT community, right? right. So in my, in my era, if you were gay, you know, we knew people were gay, but you didn't say nothing about it. You kept, you stayed in your little closet. You came to church on Sunday, everybody looked and said, oh, we know he's gay or we know she's gay or, we, you know, but nobody spoke about it and it wasn't okay to speak about it. And your generation has come along and said, well, why isn't it okay to speak about it? Why can't this person live in their truth? And then you, and then, you know, my generation will come back, well, well, the Bible says that this, that, and the other. And you say, yeah, well, the Bible says that you ain't supposed to eat shrimp neither, but I just seen you a red lobster. Mm. So, so, so what are we talking about here? Right. So so I, I really think that, um, you know, we're going to have to, there's going to be a reckoning. And I think the whole phenomenon of the event, the, the quote unquote evangelicals, because every Christian should be evangelical. Um, but the, the, the white evangelicals, who have uh, overwhelmingly supported Donald Trump are really going, are really forcing the black church into a reckoning because now some of us are starting to see how many of these white evangelical ways that we've adopted in our own churches that don't suit us as African-Americans, nor have we fully embraced the blackness of the Bible, nor have we fully embraced the fact that the church has not been a safe place for women nor have we talked about the fact that you know our ordination processes in most of our churches are a joke so all of these things are really coming to pass because i'm you know i'm, I'm in the process of catechizing two bishops 
and six ministers and all six of the ministers that I'm catechizing are women. Mm. And so I have to, I have to be honest about, you know, every single one of those women having an experience where a man was trying to, you know, procure sexual favors from them in the church. Sometimes in, uh, pastors in, in exchange for a preaching engagement, you know, all kinds of things. And these are the, wow. this is the dark side of the church right, that nobody right. wants to talk about. Right. But they have to be spoken about because now you have social media. So folks are out in folks every day on social media and we don't have the luxury anymore of being able to hide it and don't talk about it because you got a whole bunch of folks out there that's going out folks in a minute. And so we have to have this reckoning. We have to have this conversation. We have to be real. And, and one of the things that I'm glad for me, um, now, I remember when I first came to Abyssinian in 2001, my dad, who had been there for many years and, and left their church, said, don't tell anybody there you were incarcerated because they're, you know, they're kind of a Sadiddy church and they're not going to take well to that. But my first Sunday there, Dr. Butt said it and from the pulpit. You know, he was in prison, but he's with us now. He embraced me. He embraced who I was. He embraced my past. You know, he understood it. He never... Really, I mean, I'm sure he researched me and found out what he needed to because, you know, um, Reverend Mason was part of my catechism group and he was the one that actually introduced me to Dr. Butts. But um, that gave me the license to be able to be real with kids because to me, I would watch y'all. You know, I'd bring somebody in to speak and if they weren't being real within five minutes, y'all be, you would have the universal signal of a bored teenager, which was, (sighs) yeah. And you start hearing that old rumors like, okay, I need to intervene. And I've had, you know, people coming to say, and, and, and you know, young people in the church, why you bring her here? She ain't, you know, she ain't real. She ain't keeping it 100 with us. She's not, tell, you know. And so I decided I was always going to be real because somebody was going, you know, Google wasn't as big a thing as it is now, but I figured somebody was going to find out. So mm-hmm. why not just be real about it? And why not use my life as a cautionary tale? To say, Mm -hmm. one, you don't have to go out like that. And two, God forbid, if you do get caught up in that, there is a second, third, fourth, fifth, and 29th chance. And that's the, that's the, that's the real deal. Um, That's the, you know, that's the, you you know, I I think that's where a lot of our, our pastors and stuff miss it because we're so busy to trying to look successful and look holy and look prosperous and look saved that we don't look real. And I think people are not looking for uh, a facsimile of holiness. I don't think that people are looking for, you know, yeah, black people still got this thing where we want our pastors to look successful, but I think people who are really looking for God are looking for somebody who has a story. I'm gonna Mm -hmm. talk to you about smoking weed if I ain't never smoked weed before. How am I gonna have a real you about chasing women when I say I started preaching at 16, I met my wife at 18 and been married since I was 19. That's not, I mean, and that's not a bad experience. I mean, if that's somebody's experience, I'm not knocking it, but how do you minister to a kid who's out there, you know, talking about he got bodies when you ain't got none, (laughs) you know? So, So we have to have this reckoning amongst ourselves that our testimony is important. What we've been through is important to share with people, to let them know that there is endless possibilities in God. And I think it's also important for us to realize that we have to be 
uh, both loving and critical of the church at the same time, because there's a lot to love about the black church. There's also a lot to be critical of. And when we when we have those honest discussions, I think the black church becomes, as opposed to a monolith, it becomes a power station. Right. Which is ideally what it what it should be. It should be, um, you know, like a a, a a a a safe space. You know. Right. I mean, look at it this way. This is the first civil rights group of young civil rights leaders that don't really have any connection to the church. Every civil rights leader, even Malcolm X, had roots in the black church. And the Black Lives Matter movement, for the most part, is completely divorced from the church. And I don't think that that is something that was done nefariously, but I think it was done as a necessity because as much as I love him, you know, I worked with him for several years. As much as I love Reverend Sharpton, Reverend Sharpton, I'm I'm 56, so he just turned 66. You know, Jesse Jackson's in his mid to late 70s at this point. So, you know, who's the voice of young America? Who has been trained? Who has been, we had this conversation before, who have we prepared to pass the baton to? And the answer is really no one. So what's happened is a lot of young people have said, I'm just going to take this book. If you're not going to prepare me, I'm going to prepare myself. So I'm going to do this work, but I'm not going to have, I'm not going to share your traditional values. I'm not going to share your traditional positioning. I'm not going to believe that the church, because again, the church has been seen by a lot of people as a sellout. You know, when you got a, when you get pastors on, on TV on Sunday talking about, you know, um, I need a I need a new jet, or you know, or my Bentley's getting old. It's time for y'all to get me a new one. And this is the real jackassery that goes on in the name of church. You know, I need a jet. I need this. I need that. And look, I ain't knocking the hustle in in the sense that you know I'm not knocking it in the sense of if you get you get what you get, you got what you got. But you should not be fleecing people to buy jets. You should not be fleecing poor people who are pouring their money into your church, if you're going to, if you if people are going to pour money into your church in that way, then the church should be a resource for the people and not just a cash cow for the pastor. And I think that's what some people see when they look at the church and they look at some guy coming in and he's down on designer everything and he's, he's spit shine from head to toe, you know, and he's got on, you know, $10,000 robe and he drives up and a Mercedes or a Rolls or whatever he's driving and and you know I'm 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 just coming here I'm barely surviving you know and and just because they get one person a job or they help buy somebody a house doesn't take away from the millions and millions of dollars that they suck up out of the black community uh, yeah I think in 2002 um Dr. Butts um took us down to the Yeah, we went to the National Black Convention in Philly and they were, um, I forgot who was the president of the convention, but a couple of things struck me was that we were there and they had this, they were in the Philly Convention Center, they had all of the vendors out down there. They had one, I remember this one guy was selling alligator shoes out of a vendor spot for like a thousand dollars a pair of shoes or something like that. 
or I don't know, it was five hundred thousand, whatever it was. It was some shoes I couldn't possibly afford. And I remember telling Doctor Butts, I said, "Yeah, he charging five hundred dollars for alligator shoes." He says, "Those aren't very good alligator shoes." And I was like, "Okay," <laughs> but the commerce selling sermons, you know, selling robes with you know rhinestones and all kinds of stuff on it. And then I think on the either the, the final night or the next to last night, um, the president of the convention got up and said that he had taken his dollar per year salary. This was in two thousand two dollars now, a uh, hundred thousand dollar year salary, and giving it back to the convention. And everybody stood up and gave him a room for you're talking about maybe ten thousand people in the room, maybe more. And uh, and so he got up and he preached that night. And they said, we're going to, since our president gave back his salary, we want to take up an offering to bless him. And we're going to start the offering off with anybody who's giving $10,000 or more. And about 15 people rushed up. And then after them, he said, well, anybody's giving $5,000 or more. Another 25 or 30 people. Anybody's giving 2,500 or more, another 15 or 20 people. Anybody's giving $1,000 or more, here comes another 30, 40 people. By the time they got to whoever, you know, whoever got a dollar, a nickel, a quarter, whatever, they were, everybody was on the line. And I'm saying to myself, I'm sitting there with Reverend Johnson, and me and him were looking at each other going, he made his salary back and then some. Because now we're talking about an offering that all the checks are made out to him, all the cash is going directly to him. He doesn't have to file that on his taxes. It's gifts, right? So right. he gave back $100,000, but he probably pulled in about four or $500,000 that night in that one offering. Wow. And my point, my point was that, so to somebody from the outside looking in and looking at that type of, and I don't, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to call it greed, but I would call it unnecessary commerce. Right. I would call uh, I would call it, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know too many people who can walk in a room and walk out with $500,000 cash, you know? And and when you have, when I when I just sat in the room and you said the prison ministry for the National Baptist Conventions representing thousands and thousands of churches only had $50 in its account for prison ministry. That, that to me doesn't make any sense, but you're going to take up thousands and thousands of dollars for one man who already has a job, who already has a church, who's already doing well, who's already prosperous by all standards, but your prison ministry has $50. That's, something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with that equation. Something ain't right with all of that. And again, right. I get in trouble all the time because, you know, people say, oh, you shouldn't talk about other preachers. I'm not talking about other preachers. I'm not mentioning nobody by name. I'm, y'all actually speak for you. And the people in your church may support it. The people in your denomination may support you. There may be other preachers who support you, but the people who are outside the church, and I'm not talking about people who don't believe in God. I'm just talking about people who are outside of the church because there's some very strong believers in Jesus Christ, strong believers in the Bible who don't want nothing to do with the Christian church. And they're looking at that going, that's why I don't go. That's why I don't want to be a part of it. That's why I don't want to be involved because of the hypocrisy, because right. haves and have nots, because we are holding up one man, we're giving this one man all of this money, when that money could be better utilized to do other things that would bring much more good to much to many more people. And um, until we do something about that, until we have a real conversation about that, 
until that's being addressed in some meaningful fashion, we're, we're, we're going to have a we're going to have a continued great falling away from the church. Right. And I think that everything that I said just now was encapsulated by what you said at the beginning about your relationship with the church, about how you felt about going about whether it's a priority and all that stuff. Mm. And, I don't, and again, Dr. Butts happens to be, and I, I just need to say this for posterity's sake, Dr. Butts is one of the best of the bunch. You know, um, Dr. Butts always taught us, you know, if you go to a church and they're giving you an offering, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't preach for offerings. You know, if, you, if they don't give you anything, just walk out and leave. And I've been right. doing, you know, it's never been about money for me because that's the way Dr. Butts taught us. We never took raises. The salary that they that I started with at Abbey City in 2001 was the salary I was still being paid when I left in 2005. We didn't take raises, right? Mm. Um, and um, and Dr. Butts, I watched him at that same convention. They had a New York luncheon, and I watched him give back the offering. And a lot of the preachers they were mad because they felt like you know they would have to do the same thing. But I saw mm. him give back the offering. I've seen he's come to my church and preached for my anniversary and I gave him an envelope and he handed it back to me and said, hey, take this and buy Kim something nice. Happy anniversary. You know, so Dr. Butts, you know, is one of the best of the best as far as that's concerned. But there's a yeah. whole lot of others who are a lot, a lot less scrupulous than he is. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. I, I yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, there was something that you said, speaking of taking things from what we say, uh, there was something that you said that really um, stood out to me, and it kind of helps me to bring about um, my next big point. Basically, what this conversation is 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 really about uh, in terms of moving forward. But you were you were saying that you know um, a reckoning is is going to be coming, um, yeah. and that that just strikes a chord with me. And um, I don't know I don't know what it is and what made this happen for me. But I've I've realized that the words that start with R-E as a prefix always kind of strike a chord with me and just inspire me to do something. <laughs> and I'm always motivated by words that start with R-E for whatever reason. So you used reckoning um, and in my in my music, I have the word release and I have the word reflection. And that's my, those are my two most recent music projects that I've put out. And um, those are big things for me. And my future, my future albums that I hope to produce and make one day, uh, I, I have the titles for them already. One is Reason for a Rhyme. The second one is Real. And then the third one is Revelation. Mm. Um, and then uh, you know, and then the big one there, which was one I wanted to do as a music project, then it turned into something bigger, uh, is revival. And I've already, you know, I had the conversation yep. with you on the phone about that. And I know that the word revival has a meaning in the church. Um, and I think it, that meaning or that, that word is something that needs to kind of move forward. Um, and in terms of bringing people together and you know i i, I talked to my aunts i talked to my uncles i talked to my my father and they they used to always tell me how like 
you know, even even not just in the the big picture, like the, the world outside of us, but even in our own homes or in our own families, we're just like, it's not how it used to be. We don't come together like we used to. We don't talk on the phone like we used to. Right. And it's like, and then it's like, okay, so what happened? Let's let's like you know, let's take a look back and see like, well, what was the moment that caused the breakaway and let's see if we can revive that can we bring that back because there's there's a disconnect and if we don't fix it now then it's going to be lost forever even with um you know speaking of the effects of covid you know um just to give one thing because it's close to home for me because i love going to the movies even movie theaters and how streaming you know has affected the the movie going experience much like how streaming has affected the church going experience all those things that require you to physically be there the access to do it from a distance it's it's a big thing and however long this pandemic continues to go on and how it's going to affect um you know the the movie theater business it's like things are just changing and there's a conversation that needs to be had about what is the best way to move forward and are we going to let go of certain things that were possible before covid and when we move when when covid is over are we going to try to get those things back are we going to work with what we have are we going to create something new altogether and i think that that's a conversation that needs to be had amongst people in the church and just amongst the the family um and just you know um and i told you about this you know the social movement that I'm planning on doing and it, and it begins with having those types of conversations we need to reassess where we stand spiritually where we stand um politically morally you know just just all of that stuff um and and just figure out you know what it is we all really really want and what's the best way to do that and it comes with another RE word I think I, I think it comes with like a, a sense of reconciliation um, and we need that between the different generations to be like, okay, this is how you, you know, this is what your experience is. And I don't want to take that away from you. This is what my experience is. And I don't want you to take that away from me, but let's combine these experiences and figure out what is the new experience that the both of us can have together instead of resenting the other generation for not seeing things the way that we see it. You know, so that's just one of the main things that's been on my mind. But I don't really know how to push that forward. So what I was saying in terms of reckoning is that, you know, if we're going to be if we if there's been an abusive relationship or if there's been some some things unbalanced in a relationship, the only way to get the relationship back the way that it needs to be is that both sides have to admit where they're at fault. Right. And, and many of us within the black clergy have not been willing to accept that we've been at fault for some things. We've been at fault for the way we treat women. We've been at fault for the fact that so many children this is just not a catholic thing it's, it's a protestant thing too it's just not spoken about so many children have been abused uh you know and molested in church you know sometimes by other children and sometimes by adults but there's been so many things that have gone on in the church that we've kind of swept under the rug just like we do within our families 
Mm-hmm. And until bring those conversations to the forefront and say, hey, you know what? Um, we need to fix this. We need to we need to admit where we're wrong. Because I think, you know, for me, as 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 critical as I am of the black church, I love the black church. And I love the creativity of the black church. I love, you know, scrolling on Sunday after I finish church and looking at all of my friends and folks that I know who have watch parties and doing things on Facebook. It's 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 a beautiful thing to me. It shows me that the possibility of the church being not only vital but but vibrant in the next hundred years, you know, is is very real and very possible. It's just that we can't waste this moment. We have to use right. what COVID has given us. And what COVID has given us is it's pushed us into a corner and said you have to do it this way for a while. And you have to come out of the dark ages and come into the 21st century. You have to have a social media presence. You have to have an online presence in order to survive as a church in the 21st century. And the other thing that is done is it's telling us that, you know, we the way we do commerce has to change. You know, you know, mo- I, I, I had this big argument with my trustees in both churches about, you know, putting in a swipe card machine and stuff like that during worship. And oh, we don't need to do that. People bring money. So I, I, I just did an experiment. We were in a church meeting. I said, everybody under 40 stand up. So I guess there's about 50 people in the room and there were about 15, 20 people under 40. And they all stood up. I said, do me a favor. Every single one of you who has a hundred dollars in your pocket right now, sit down. One person sat down. I said, every one of you has 50, sit down. Maybe one more person sit down. I said, everybody else who has less than $20 in your pockets remain standing. And I said, as a matter of fact, if you have, if only if you have $5 or less in your pocket remain standing. And what remained standing was most of them were still standing at the end of that. So I had to tell people, look, young people give with their cards. If you're taking an offering and you're only doing a cash only offering, you're going to get that couple of $5 bill that's in the back of their wallet. I said, mm-hmm. so we have to rethink the way we do commerce within the church. And um, and that's been a revelation because unfortunately, there's a lot of old gatekeepers. There's that word. See? Revelation. Yeah. I'm telling you these RE words, man. Yeah. And 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 the revelation will come when, when we have that. The revelation will come through reckoning. It'll come through revival, right? And it'll come through reunification. Right. The RE words, since you, right? And, mm-hmm. and and it'll come through those things. And it'll also come with a renewed uh, adherence and respect for the Bible. Right. And and not from a from a standpoint of, of just trying to point out the homophobic things in the Bible, which has been a big thing, but really having some some real fidelity to what the Bible says about love and respect and relationships and really taking a deep dive into understanding what Jesus really did at Calvary. Cause it's so much more than he died for my sins so I can live forever. He died for my sins so I can live now and I can mm-hmm. live now and I can be in harmony with, with my brothers and sisters, even when they're not in harmony with me, I can still right. have harmony because I have the peace that passes all understanding. Mm. I do. It's gonna be a um. It's gonna be an interesting. I'm 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 really glad to be alive right now. Um, I'm really glad to be a, a part of this and to be on the forefront of it. Um, as you know, one of the things that I'm looking at is even talking about the way we do ordinations. 
you know, the ordination process of most churches has just been regurgitation. You learn the precepts, you regurgitate them, you examine, you know them, and you pass. You know, and um, and now we're really looking into everything from, you know, having people have not just uh, criminal background checks, but psychological profiles. Um, you know, Which is important. Yeah, um, having uh, you know, emotional support groups. You know, making sure that every uh, new minister has a mentor who is, you know, has some experience in being in in, in mentoring young people. Um, and really, I've taken some of, believe it or not, I've taken a lot of the stuff that we're doing with our ordination. I've taken a lot of it from Blue Now. Mm. You know, really just in the sharing and, you know, and, and having people pour into this whole, what I'm doing with my ordinance is every week I have somebody come in to pour into them. So I have somebody who's, a, you know, somebody who's, I had a, a, a young lady come and pour into them who's running for, she's a reverend, but she's also running for city council in Brooklyn and had her just spend the evening with my folks and just talk to them about her experiences as a black woman in church. I had Lisa Jenkins from St. Matthew's up on 153rd. She took some, I had Bishop Bastin, who's the, he's my bishop, pastor of St. Luke's Cathedral in, in, in Laurelton, but he's also the president of Rockland Community College, you know, uh, and uh, had him pour into them. So, you know, just having different people, you know, pour into them and talk to them. I even had a sister, come on with them this week who is struggling in ministry so that they could talk to her because this the exchange of ideas, the exchange of experiences, the telling of our testimony, the transparency that we show to one another, the transparency and honesty, because transparency and honesty are two different things. You could be honest without being transparent. You can be transparent without being honest. But when you right. do both, when you're both transparent and honest, I think people grow from it. And that's what I've tried to do with varying degrees of success. I've always been transparent, but I haven't always been honest because I've always been proud of everything that I've done in my past. There's a lot of things I don't talk about. You know, there's a darker side to what I went through that I don't talk about. Um, but eventually I'm gonna have to talk about that too because that's part of the journey. Right. And that's part of the revival. That's the part of, of the reckoning of having the reckoning within myself and being able to say to people, it does not matter what you've been through. I mean, Kirk, I've been through some stuff on the street and people go, whoa, really? Dang, you did that? Yeah, I did that. I'm not proud of it, but I'm I'm blessed that I came out of it, that I survived it. Right. You know, I've been in situations where I should have been dead. I should have been shot dead. You know, I've been in situations where somebody pointed the gun at me and click and nothing happened and they turned and pointed the gun at somebody else and shot him you know you know so that was it wasn't yeah. it wasn't my day. it wasn't my time i was supposed right. to be here for a reason and and being able to 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 live through all of that and still be able to stand in the pulpit and have anybody want to hear anything that i have to say is the true is one of the joys of my life you know to, to have somebody like you who i have so much respect for look up to me means the world to me because there's still a part of me that goes, wow, they actually want to listen to you? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, it's part, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, survivor's remorse. I have all of those things at moments. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but what I am is convinced. And I'm convinced that we as a people, uh, as Christians and as black people, um, have the ability to come through this and to be as amazing as our ancestors believed that we could be. 
mm. we can be the living embodiment of the seven principles of Kwanzaa. That we could be the living embodiment of Dr. 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 King's I Have a Dream speech. We can also be the living embodiment of when uh, Malcolm X quoted the French philosopher, and his name is, when he said, uh, his name's escaping me now, but when he said by any uh, uh, when he said by any means necessary, we and and we and we can also be the living embodiment of what James Baldwin talked about, because I've really gotten into Baldwin lately, and Baldwin was prophetic, man. Baldwin was, and the fact that he was black and gay, and right. you know, uh, you know, really you know, made it hard on him. He had to go to Europe to find peace, but he was amazing, you know, and now I'm glad that there's a rediscovery of him, but I'm hoping that they rediscover him in context. Right. You know, and, and, and in those contextual conversations about sexuality, about gender, about race, about classism, about colorism, about all of those things that we experience in our community every day. And when we do that, with the backdrop of the Holy Writ of the Bible, that is going to bring us to a place of incredible power if we allow it to. And that's what I'm living for every day. That's what I'm working towards every day. And that's why I'm glad to be involved with 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 a, a young king like yourself, because um, you know we're passing the baton to you. I'll be 57 in about two and a half weeks, three weeks, and. Uh, and after I turn 57, you know, I means I'm beating 60 with a stick. I'm not old, but I'm not young either. And I right. really have to think about in the next 15, you know, 20 years tops, um, I'm going to have to pass the baton to somebody and then sit back and teach and advise and train, but leave the hard, bare bones work to somebody else. As a matter of fact, I really need to start leaving the hard, bare bones work to somebody else now because know there's only but so much physical labor that i'm going to do but i'm doing my best thinking right and i can help you with the benefit of the knowledge that i've attained do your best thinking with the with the 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 the, the arrogance and i say that in the best sense of the word with the arrogance and the 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 limitless possibilities that your youth has wrapped up and tangled up within it um and if i can help you think clearer and see things in a different perspective or just give you a perspective and then let you use your own creativity and your, your own youthful exuberance to bring it to fruition. And I could just sit back and marvel at what God has done through you that maybe I never even imagined. And I mm. think that a lot of our elders are having problems because we don't want to be elders and we don't want to think about, you know, our last days on earth and we just want to try to stay relevant. And sometimes by staying relevant, by by fighting hard to stay relevant, you become irrelevant. Right. So my relevance is only as great as how many people I can teach and train and inspire and send. And that's what I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing. And COVID, just to come back to the point, COVID made it more possible to do it now because people are listening. Because people see how fleeting it is. When we've lost... 300,000 people. I just buried my grandfather's last remaining sister up in Connecticut a couple of weeks ago. And then her husband died uh, on the eve of her funeral. Mm. And then one of my best friends that I met while I was in prison, his brother, who I met first, met him in prison. He died yesterday. 
So, you know, just watching the fleeting, you know, life is fleeting, you know, you never know. And, and so I got to spend every day that I'm on this earth trying to pour what I have into someone else, into someone who's going to be able to run with it when I can only walk briskly at this point in my life. But you can still run. So if, if it's a race and it's not an endurance race, then I need to pass it to you so you can run the sprint part until you get to the part of endurance because I'm at the part of endurance now and you're still sprinting. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm more than glad to make sure you got everything you need to run as fast as you can. Even, mm-hmm. even if that running means that you leave me behind. Mm. For real. Yeah, yeah, man. That's uh, as a this be an old preacher that used to come up to sing sing when I was locked up. He said, "I ain't going, I ain't through, but I'm gonna quit." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's all I have to say. Unless you had something else you wanted to ask me. No, no. That that was that that summed it up perfectly. Um, again, I just I just want to thank you. But um, you know everything you say. I, I, I take to the heart and, and it's and it stays with me and I, and I value all that you have to give so you know just just know when it comes to me you know and it's never um it's, it's never taken for granted it's never you know it's never something that goes one through one ear out the other like it, it's, it's always going to be um appreciated uh and you know I'm just glad to have you on, on my side with, with me through this this thing that I'm trying to do and have just my life navigate through it um yeah and well you know we're gonna keep having these conversations and um you know I, I look to you for your guidance and I, I again I just want to thank you for for joining me on this episode today uh but that's gonna be about it uh I think thank everybody for listening and um we'll catch you on the next episode of the of the hill review uh have a good night be blessed and be safe and take care